Ram Power Days is going on now with our most powerful lineup of trucks ever. Hurry in and don't just feel the power, own it. Right now, get 2.9% financing for 72 months on the 2022 Ram 1500 Bighorn Crew Cab. Don't miss this great offer. 2.9% APR financing for 72 months equals 1515 per month per 1000 financed for well-qualified buyers through Chrysler Capital regardless of down payment. Not all buyers will qualify. See dealer for details. Offer ends 1031-2022. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel anytime. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better? You really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to, because you can do it, if you have the right tools, and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Space News Pod. I'm your host, Will Walden. Today is a good day, my friends. Carolyn Porco. If you don't know who she is, she's the Cassini imaging lead. The Cassini probe studied Saturn and gave us some absolutely amazing visuals of that planet. Now, I had a little Twitter conversation with her, and I asked her a couple questions about the new Titan mission that's coming up. Titan mission that will land a quadcopter on the moon Titan and take photos stitch them together, make a video, check out what the surface is, see if there's any life there. So I had a little conversation, and I'm going to kind of read it off to you, let you know what she what she says about the, the mission. She's not part of this mission, but she's part of the bigger Cassini missions that were happening in the past. So I said, this Titan mission, how cool is it that we're sending a helicopter to another world? She said, how cool, 290 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. And then she said, did you expect any other answer from a scientist? Of course, she's joking. Goofy, awesome, but she said, but also dazzlingly spectacular. I really hope I'm still around to see it and that it works. So this mission is going to be launching in the mid-2020s and land on Titan in the mid-2030s. So from now, 15, 20 years from now, Ashton, how's it going? About 15, 20 years from now, this thing will land. I really hope Karen, Carolyn can see it. That would be amazing. Absolutely amazing. So this quadcopter thing, this, this drone is autonomous. It'll fly around the surface of Titan. What's up, Zuma? By itself. We don't need to tell it where to go. We don't need anything like that. It'll be scanning the uh, surface as it goes. It'll be landing on the surface and also taking measurements. 
for life, for composition, for uh, various other things. It'll also be able to use its rotors to kick up dust. That's another cool thing. So it'll be able to kick up dust wherever it is. And then it can read that dust. Now, the other thing is, I was worried about this, right? I was worried about the dust getting into this quadcopter's. Hey, Blake, uh, this quadcopter's rotors, right? Because it's crazy. What's up, T-Rap? It's crazy how much that this world kind of resembles ours, even though it's full of methane. So rain on Titan is methane. It's not water. It's methane. So what I was worried about is, is this quadcopter airtight? Is it watertight? Is it sand tight? So I asked Carolyn, I said um, that the, the mission looks incredibly complex. Hopefully the technology is able to withstand that kind of temperature for the mission length. Seems like sand may be a factor in the long term as well. Any thoughts? Lots of moving parts on this one. Caroline said, we're not sure the surface is sand-like. Now, when they did the press conference with NASA, when I was on the call with them, the uh, scientists there stated that it will be landing in the sand dunes around the equator of Titan. And when Caroline said that they're not sure that the surface is sand-like, of all the people you can trust with information about Saturn and its moons, you gotta trust Carolyn Porco. She knows everything about everything about Saturn. She was lead Cassini imager. That was the probe that orbited Saturn for so long. No longer with us. They had to decommission it. But she said, she went on to say, we're not sure the surface is sand-like. It could be more like snow made of tar. But there will be large particles made of organic compounds, and it's not clear to me what that might do to mechanical mechanisms. Dust on the moon was a real problem for the Apollo astronauts. So snow tar, that's what they're going to be landing on. The only thing I can really equate it to on Earth is, you know, I don't know if you're from a place where there's a lot of snow, but I'm from near Buffalo, New York. We get a lot of snow here. When they plow the roads and like all the crap from the tires gets in the snow piles and it's all dirty and nasty and like there's brownish, blackish snow and there's little pebbles and, you know, dirt everywhere. That's kind of what I equate it to. Maybe that's just because the color. But it seems like it would be a little bit more dense than that. You know, like a snow, like a dense snow. Because um, my road just got paved a little bit ago. So if it's tar like that, if it's like asphalt kind of tar, or like roofing tar, but little particles of it, like the size of a snowflake... What's the composition of them and how, you know, are they going to stick together or are they going to be able to um, be kicked up by the rotors? 
Because that's kind of what they were saying before, is that like the rotors are going to be able to kick up this, quote, sand. And the, the sand on Titan, the quote sand, uh, air quotes, by the way, could possibly be our kind of link to another life form in our solar system. Now, that being said, it's still a far distance in the future. They still have about 10 years to figure out the engineering and the science, uh, do as much research as they can to get the proper instruments in place and tweak them before they actually launch. So they have plenty of time to get this right before they launch. But if anything goes wrong, say if this thing lands, you know, if they land it properly, they land it well, um, and then anything goes wrong with the mission, can't fix it. It's far away. It's really far away. So there's not going to be any sort of fixing to this uh, quadcopter once it gets to Titan if it does break down. Now, and the other thing is, if it's sand and it gets in the rotors, if it gets in the engines, the motors, I'm not sure, it's probably going to be electric, uh, the motors. And I know that what's powering it is a nuclear cell uh, similar to Curiosity rover. I think it's actually the same same system as Curiosity, if I'm not mistaken. But if that's the case, that's going to be pretty awesome. But it's also because they can make it kind of a, a more sealed uh, engine for it. Motor, I should say. More sealed motor for the rotor. A rotor motor. So hopefully that all goes well. I mean, it's 10 years down the line. I'll keep you up to date as much as I know about it. But for now, we're just kind of hanging back, waiting to see what actually happens with it. Because... Um, there's not like, there's not a lot of information about it quite yet. Just what they kind of said the other day, which was, okay, we're going to fly a freaking quadcopter on Titan autonomously. Crazy, 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 crazy. Now I got to say, uh, real quick, I want to thank Magellan TV for their support for the podcast. They've been really great. Um, if you like science space tech documentaries go to magellantv.com slash space news pod and you can get two months for free really awesome documentaries posting in chat right now really cool stuff two months for free and you get over 1500 premium documentaries and then after that it's only 4.99 a month you can play them anytime anywhere high quality no ads and the content is updated every single week. So thank you, MagellanTV.com, for supporting the podcast. Now let's move on to this cool space plane. NASA has a new plane. It's not a space plane. Sorry about that. It's a supersonic plane. They have this really crazy new plane, but it doesn't have a windshield. They're using a monitor, like you would, like a video game monitor. There's three monitors. There's one with a camera attached to it that you can see in the front. Then there's other monitors with other information on them. And if uh, all goes to plan in 2021, NASA will start test piloting this thing. There's a very long nose cone, and it will fly faster than the speed of sound. 
they're not going to be looking through a window, though. They're going to be looking at a 4K monitor. Cameras in the front of the ship will send real-time video to the pilot's field of view, right to that 4K monitor. So the flight is going to be pretty standard, pretty normal. And the creators of it hope that it will break the speed of sound without producing the sonic boom that we're so used to. Um, and if it can get through the sound barrier quieter, quieter than a traditional supersonic plane, it might be able to lend that technology to future uh, planes that fly over regular civilians like you and me. Which would be really great because there are some planes out there that are super loud. And the reason why they don't have a windshield is basically drag. You want it to be as aerodynamic as possible, and a windshield gives it that little bump for the glass. And if they don't have that bump, they can cut down on drag. So instead, they have a couple of uh, couple of cameras up there shooting video directly forward and also streaming it back to that 4K display. Pretty cool stuff. It has a camera on the top of the nose cone and a camera underneath. So the one on top will be looking forward and the one underneath will be looking downward, giving a view of the runway for takeoff and landing. So instead of just, I mean, this thing looks crazy. I'm going to post a picture here in popular science. Check that out. Now, there's a couple problems with this, though. Human eyes see a specific rate. And if this monitor's refresh rate isn't properly tuned, then the pilots can get motion sickness. And, um, you know, your eyes could start seeing a little bit of latency. But for a plane that's going this fast, you can't have any latency. It's dangerous. The goal is that if they do it right, it'll be as if there's a real window there and not a monitor. And the pilots won't really be able to notice the difference. So that's pretty cool. That was a pretty neat thing that I came up on the other day. Uh, NASA is also doing some Mars and Moon studies. And they're picking some people to do this, some different uh, entities to help them out. This is for the Solar System Exploration Research Virtual Institute. The Center for Lunar and Asteroid Surface Science is one of them. The UCF's team will study regolith, which is a soil-like material on other planetary bodies on the moon and asteroids, specifically looking at the physical properties and resources of regolith and its behavior in the space science or in the space environment. So they're basically going to be looking at space soil. Uh, there's a bunch of other ones too. And basically what these things are, uh, they're different teams from around the world. Um, 
or around the country, I should say. And what they do is different kind of science, different kind of engineering. Uh, Center for Lunar, Lunar Science and Exploration, the CLSE, led by David Kring at the Lunar and Planetary Institute of Houston. Through modeling and geochemical analysis, this team will track the distribution and form of uh, volatiles from the early solar system to the formation of the moon and subsequent evolution to today. So it's basically all the moons are going to be working on our moon and Mars moon and more stuff too. That was pretty neat. Pretty excited about that one. I also want to let you know about um, some updates to the trip. Um, November 15th is still tentative. It's not a sure thing. It's kind of a, kind of a, um, let's figure it out as we go. But November 15th is the plan to launch astronauts back to the ISS from U.S. soil for the first time since the space shuttle got decommissioned. And my plan is to road trip down there. I have a friend who is a videographer, filmer, editor, works in, uh, works in film, works in TV, and he's really great at it. So hopefully I can get some really cool uh, YouTube videos out of it. And I can share the experience with you guys along the way. I have, so I'm kind of getting it all together as I go. I'm just kind of like piecing it together, what I need to do and where I need to go, what I want to do on the trip. Because it's a, it's a 21 hour trip altogether. So if I take, that's basically like if I drive one whole day, I get there. If I started at like six in the morning and ended at six in the morning, you know, I'd get there. Now they say, you know, 21 hours. So split it in half, 10 hours each day. It's a lot of driving. So if I drove 10 hours from where I am right now, let me take a little, little trip on Google Maps. Come along on this trip with me real quick. About 10 hours from where I am right now is, I, well, I have to go through Pennsylvania. My friend lives in New York City. Either he can come up here and meet me here or I can drive to somewhere in between me and him. Scranton, Pennsylvania is pretty much in between my friend and myself. From there, we can pretty much go straight down through Allentown, Pennsylvania, near Philly, past Jersey. Oh, the Jersey Shore is pretty cool. Uh, you know, Baltimore and Washington. Now, the other thing that I didn't really want to do is hit Washington, D.C. That's tough. That's a tough drive. The Beltway is insane. Baltimore, too. I mean, it's just one big, giant mess down there. So what I would prefer to do, and I've got to talk to him about this, what I would prefer to do is him to come up here And then, oh, you know, we could go through Harrisburg and through Hershey. I'm just looking at this right now and go through Woodstock down south near uh, Charlottesville and Richmond and stuff like that. And that'll kind of hit Richmond and then go south from Richmond, Virginia and be near the ocean. 
on the way there. <clears throat> but, you know, if he came down, if he came to me to start, which it kind of sucks for him because it's a lot of traveling for him. So I'm just kind of like throwing out ideas, which I was, I'm kind of pondering uh, at the same time. You know, today I kind of, I kind of figured it out. Uh, but we could travel through the forests of Pennsylvania, which would be really cool. Really beautiful, beautiful scenery. Awesome night skies, too. So <clears throat> it's possible, you know, maybe I'm going to be traveling down the coast. Or maybe I'll be traveling uh, through the inlands of Pennsylvania and down south through there. So I'm kind of still tr trying to figure it out. What's the best way? I want to save money, uh, but I also want to have the best experience. Like driving over to New York City, it doesn't sound like fun. Going to Philly, Philly's rad, cool. Baltimore, Washington, that's just a big mess. Um, Richmond isn't bad. I've been to Richmond, Newport News. You know, we could go to Richmond. We could maybe, you know, what we could do is drive one day to Richmond, Virginia. It would take us all day to get there. Let me see how far that is from here. That is a Richmond, Virginia is a seven hour drive, right? So we can go to Richmond. That's a pretty decent first chunk from my house. Go to Richmond or we can go to Virginia Beach, maybe. Virginia Beach, which would be really insane. Be really fun. Um, so let's see, Virginia Beach from me is eight, or about nine hours. So that's pretty much halfway, Virginia Beach. Go to the beach a little bit, hang out, you know, skateboard, whatever. Enjoy ourselves, have a little vacation on our way to NASA, where we will see one of the most important rocket launches of our lifetimes. Launching humans back to the International Space Station from... U.S. soil on a U.S. rocket, SpaceX capsule on top of it. So that's pretty cool, man. That's my trip. I'm working on it. I've got to go fund me. I'm going to post it up. It's not done yet. I'm working on a video for it. So here's the GoFundMe. I want to keep you guys up to date with it. That's the GoFundMe. If you're interested, I already got some people that helped me out. Blake helped me out so far and i just i literally just kind of like hinted at this the other day not a, even a solid launch i haven't promoted on anywhere on social media so you all get the first glimpse of this whole trip try to figure out everything uh, and you guys are important in my in my decision making because i think it, it would be kind of cool to get your guys feedback on what are some neat things to do on the way down there so if you know anything, just let me know. So that being said, I'm working on another video, a long form, maybe not even long form, about 10 minute, 10 minute YouTube video about uh, UFO conspiracies. And also, did we land on the moon? Just because I know there's stuff out there already. But I think a lot of these places that try to debunk it, debunk the uh, conspiracy theorists, go too crazy about it. They don't take the layman's terms. You know, they don't take the, the normal path of somebody who's just logical. 
not somebody who is a scientist. You know, I'm just a normal dude that likes space stuff, right? And even I can tell there's like 400,000 people, I believe, something like that. It was some ridiculous amount of people working on Apollo 11. It was some ridiculous, it was like half a million people. <laughs> it was so, it was like so many people. I, I'm probably completely wrong about that. It was, might be like 50,000. Let me see how many people worked on Apollo 11. 400,000 people worked on Apollo 11. 400,000 people, they had to keep their mouths shut. 400,000 people that if they were in this part of the conspiracy, right, if they were part of it, almost half a million people would have had to keep their mouth shut for the rest of their lives. There's no way. There's no way that many people could keep their mouth shut about it. So there is like one thing that I'm going to be working on with this next uh, YouTube video. Also, if you go to youtube.com slash space news pod, all these podcasts are available on there as well. And also like shorter clips, things like that. I'm going to start doing more um, informative clips. Going to be doing some more, uh, more produced, highly produced or higher produced. I should say maybe not highly because I'm not that really great at it, but I'm working on it. Um, YouTube videos about, space science and tech to go along with the podcasts because the podcasts get automatically uploaded, which is really nice. So working on that stuff, there's all sorts of fun things that are going on. Um, so like I was saying before, there's other cool stuff that's going on. That's just kind of, um, kind of just a fun thing, right? So like science doesn't always have to be about crazy stuff and about you know, conspiracy theories and, you know, keeping it super crazy and intense all the time. It doesn't have to be. I want science to be fun. I want science to be, you know, enjoyable for everybody and not a pain in the butt. Um, speaking of Apollo, though, they're going to allow NASA will be allowing scientists to get their hands on moon rocks. The United States uh, has 22 kilograms sealed away that NASA is going to open up after several decades of scientists waiting. And they'll be able to study them using current technology because the technology when they last studied them was a lot different than what it is now. 12 moonwalkers gathered this lunar material. Now, some of it was vacuum packed on the moon and never has been exposed to earth's atmosphere. Some of it has been frozen or stocked in gaseous helium, but they all remain untouched. These moon rocks will be divvied out to different scientists um, and they're not going to be contaminated. They'll make sure that they're going to be um, in tubes or containers that are pristine. Very pristine. Uh, 
Geologists will be required to wear protective suits and lab gear provided by NASA and will only receive a specific amount of material to conduct their proposed research. So the sample vault, which contains 70% of the original amassed lunar material, has two combinations and takes two people to unlock. That's some high-stakes stuff right there. So that's kind of, I mean, it's cool. It's very cool that they're doing this. Like, it's not super crazy. Moon rocks are really cool, but it's just fun science. You know, we get to learn a lot about the moon when we do this. So hopefully they get a lot more information with our new tools, new technologies, and we are able to get some more info about, you know, how we're going to land on the moon, too. You know, what's the moon surface made of? We know it's dusty. We know it's rocky. You know, we know what it's kind of made of. But maybe our new tools can come up with other options and other ideas. And maybe the tools that we're using now to study this will bring up other experiments in the future for future uh, lunar landings, human lunar landings, which will be happening if everything goes right in 2024. Now, if all goes well for that moon mission, what are we going to be studying? We don't know yet. We're not sure exactly what we're going to be studying. We're going to be studying, definitely going to be bringing back some samples. Uh, the first woman will be setting foot on the lunar surface in 2024, followed by the next man. They'll be um, landing, making sure everything goes right. And eventually, eventually, um, we'll be able to build a colony on the moon. That's the plan. You know, give it 10 years from when we re-land on the moon, and we'll start making colonies if all goes well. And I keep saying if all goes well for a reason. We all know that funding for NASA is kind of a weird thing. It's really weird that politicians have their hand in science. And it's really weird that politicians can steer the nation's science objectives when they aren't scientists. You can say you want to go to Mars all you want, but is it realistic to go to Mars within the four years that you're president? You know, during the time that you're getting funding for, Ma for NASA for certain projects, we've been to the moon. We've been to the moon a lot. We don't know everything about the moon, but we don't know everything about the Earth either. Should we be focusing on further objects in the cosmos, such as Mars, such as Titan? Titan will have a robot on it in about 10 years, or in about 20 years, I should say. But we need to learn a lot about the moon and how to live in space in order to live on Mars. And if we don't send people back to the moon, will we be able to send people to Mars? That's the question. If you think about it, it's baby steps. 
the first explorers that crossed the sea. They didn't cross the sea their first try. They crossed the sea once they knew how to do it. They went out little by little. And they nudged themselves out further and further. Little boats built up to bigger boats, built up to bigger boats. And eventually they crossed seas to a different land. Now this is similar because our sea is space. And our boats are spaceships, rockets, pods for humans to live in. Now, if we go straight from Earth to Mars without knowing how to live halfway there in a tin can, um, what's going to happen to our astronauts as they fly towards, as they hurdle towards the red planet? We have no idea. We have to learn that stuff. It's a, it's a process. So all these new moon studies, the survey studies, the uh, Solar Exploration Research Virtual Institute studies, they're really important. They're really important to the fact of humans going to other planets. Because if they're going to be studying the moon, they're going to be studying Mars. And also, if we're going to be landing on the moon, that's our baby step. That's our paddle boat to get to the bigger ocean, to cross the sea of the solar system, to get to the red planet. Build a little structure. You probably die there. It's just the way it is. You got to understand these astronauts, when they go to Mars, they have to expect that they're going to die. Like, that's just in your head. Like, you got to do it, man. That's just how it works. You know you're probably not going to come back. Mars is really far away. It takes 500 plus days to get there. If something goes wrong in between here and Mars, you're not going to get saved, man. There's nothing you can do. You're going to be on your way to Mars. You're probably going to die on the way to Mars. If something goes wrong when you are there, then you're probably going to die on Mars. <laughs> That's just the way it is. It, and it sucks. You know, we can send people around and come back, slingshot back to the Earth from Mars. That's possible. You know, we're going to have to give them a lot of materials, a lot of stuff to sustain them in order to do that whole trip. It's a thousand plus days. So a thousand days three years in a tube with somebody else. No place to go. You know, you can't leave. Could you do that? Three years in the, in the habitat? Let's see how long it'll, how long it'll actually take. searching a little bit for you guys the time it takes to get to mars from earth can be between okay so it's about 300 days 150 to 300 days depending on mars in relation to the earth so let's just say my math was completely wrong i'm gonna fess up to that i said 500 days 
150 to 300 Mars or 300 days. So let's just say in between two, let's just say 200 days ish. 200 days there, 200 days back, 400 days. That's about a year. So in a year, could you sit in a can with somebody? It's about the size of a bedroom. That's about as much room as you're going to have. And that's in the pods that we have currently. Will we be able to build a structure like the International Space Station to send people to Mars? Why don't we take the International Space Station once it's decommissioned, strap some rockets on it, send it to Mars? Get plenty of room. Get plenty of room to move around, do science, live. And then when you get there, you know, you have a, you just put it on a trajectory to swing back around, head back towards Earth. Catch some of the gravity wave, or not the gravity wave, but slingshot from Mars back to Earth. Is that possible? I'll ask around. I'll see if that's possible. That sounds like a pretty cool idea, though. Especially if you're going to be sending somebody that far away. And if they're going to decommission the ISS anyway, would it make the trip? Would it, would it last that long? It's already built to withstand, gra or um, it's built to withstand, um, uh, what's that called? Radiation. Has everything you need to live in there. All you got to do, you have to ship up some more food. We make trips to ISS all the time. So maybe attach a little bit of thruster to it. Orient it towards Mars. You know, and, do, you know, have the calculations and whatnot. Have some people figure that out. I wonder if that has been discussed. I'm sure it's been discussed. What are we going to do with the International Space Station when we're done with it? plummet it into the Earth's atmosphere and have it burn up into an ocean. It's probably what's going to happen. Why waste it, though? I'm sure there's three people, three or four people, that are astronauts that would be willing to take the trip to Mars. At any cost. Be like, dude, you want to try it? All right, do it. Jump in. We're going. What do you think happened when the old-timey explorers were in giant wooden boats traveling across the seas. It wasn't like, hey, we're going to make this no matter what, and we're going to live. It was like, well, we know we're probably going to die. <laughs> we want to live. We want to make it to a new land, but we're, pro we're probably not going to make it back. If we do make it back, it'll probably be 15 or 20 years later after our boat crashes and we're on some stranded island, you know, we're stranded on an island somewhere. So why not take the International Space Station turn that sucker sideways and launch it towards Mars. Possible? Maybe. I'll ask around. See if it's possible. If it is, I'll get back to you guys and let you know. We'd have to tweak it a bunch, I'm sure. I'm sure we'd have to make some modifications to it. I'm sure we'd have to put some sort of shielding on it. Because it'll be traveling through space and not orbiting Earth like it is now. But I think that would be our one of our best chances to get there in not a tin can, not a little pod for seven people. You know, in an actual living quarters, 
instead of building something new, you know, is it possible? Let me get on Twitter. Let me see if anybody will answer. Who should I ask for? Who should I ask? Mm -hmm. Oh, I just found a new... Uh, NASA researchers have found a way to grow wheat on the International Space Station. Dwarf wheat went from seeds to plants. Back on Earth, plants use gravity as a cue to grow. But here they have to adapt to weightless environments. That's really cool. NASA researchers recreated a little Mother Earth aboard the International Space Station. How cool is that? Wheat is growing inside a facility the size of a mini fridge called the Advanced Plant Habitat. Thank you, Mashable, for that. That's really cool. I'm going to ask the International Space Station. Here we go. Let's tweet them. Any chance we can turn the space station toward Mars and when There we go. Probably not going to be by the end of this podcast, but is there any chance we can turn the space station towards Mars and fly at the station there when it's time to decommission it? It includes some astronauts, and we have a grand journey. There we go. Tweeting. Tweeted. There we go. Done and done. <laughs> oh, man. This is good stuff. If you have any questions about anything, just let me know. Hit me up in chat. Say hi. I appreciate you guys sticking out or sticking out, sticking it out with me through this podcast and sticking it out with me through everything that I've been through with this podcast. I started last year, late last year. Let's see how many episodes I have all together. I think I have 250. I have 121,000 total plays of this show. Holy crap. What the heck? How many episodes do I have? 251 episodes. We did it. 251 episodes. Thank you so much for all the support. This is episode 252 of the show. Amazing. You are all absolutely amazing for hanging out, checking this out, and continuing to support the show. I'm a one-man show here. I do it on my own with the help of others. So if you'd like to contribute, 
you can go to patreon.com. Posting it in chat right now. Space News Podcast. Patreon.com slash Space News Podcast is an easy way to contribute. It's like PBS. It's like NPR. The show is fueled by contributors, fueled by listeners like you that help me continue to do this through 252 episodes. And also by my partners, MagellanTV.com. Very cool space documentaries. You can go to MagellanTV.com slash Space News Pod and get two months for free. Amazing, high-quality, HD, 4K, space science tech documentaries, human documentaries, everything you ever want, any kind of, any kind of documentary. MagellanTV.com slash Space News Pod. Any device, anywhere, anytime. Two months for free. And after that, it's only four ninety nine a month. So thank you to Magellan. Thank you to everybody who's helped out. Thank you to anybody who's uh, checked out my GoFundMe. I really do appreciate it. Here's a link to that one again. Now, as far as Earth goes, there was a mass water reserve or reservoir that's been discovered under the Atlantic Ocean. A huge reservoir of relatively fresh water has been discovered locked under layers of rock beneath the Atlantic Ocean off the east coast of the United States. So there could be other aquifers near other seas, near other oceans. Because we need these sort of fresh aquifers to continue to give water to us, basically. This one's 15,000 square miles. It stretches from New Jersey out beyond Martha's Vineyard and holds about 670 cubic miles of water. That's equivalent to about half the volume of Lake Michigan. This is water trapped within the pores of rocks, so it's sort of like a water-soaked sponge. That's what, it, what they said on NBC News. So it's not a lake under the ocean. It's water in rocks. So porous rocks have this water in it. So you have to think, like, is this ocean water that kind of seeped down into these rocks and it gets filtered because the rocks filter it? Is that possible? Uh, there were companies that were drilling offshore for oil and they found evidence of fresh water reserves nearby. But this new study... Uh, is the first to establish the aquifer size and map it in detail. From New Jersey, almost near, like middle New Jersey, Jersey Shore, all the way up near Nantucket, Martha's Vineyard area. Kind of insane that that exists. 
they measured electromagnetic fields below the coastal region and they dropped receivers to the seafloor and used a ship to tow an apparatus that emitted electromagnetic pulses. And since salt water conducts, conducts electromagnetic waves better than freshwater, the researchers could pinpoint the aquifer based on the fields produced beneath the seafloor. So there's water under our water. There's water under our ocean in rocks. It's trapped. And they extend out as far as 75 miles near the edge of the continental shelf, 600 feet below the seafloor. And the deepest sections of it go down to about 1,200 feet. That's on Earth. That's here. That's near me. I could drive there tomorrow. Well, that is if my car wasn't broken down. Just saying. Just saying, I kind of, uh, I kind of took it into the shop the other day because it was spitting and sputtering, and I got thirty-one error codes. <laughs> what the heck is that even possible? Do I get a plaque for that? Thirty-one error codes. Who even does that? So, cars in the shop for about a week, trying to figure everything out, emissions kind of stuff. Probably a whole new exhaust system. But if my car were on the road, I could drive down to Martha's Vineyard. And go, look at out there in the ocean. That's where the fresh water is. I could go to the Jersey Shore. I've been to the Jersey Shore before. It's beautiful. A lot of people there in the summertime, but it's still beautiful. Um, extracting the water locked in the rock layers and treating it to make it potable would likely be costly and possibly impractical, they said. So we're not going to be able to get this anytime soon. Probably not going to unlock this water under the ocean anytime soon. Going to cost a lot of money. Going to take a lot of time, a lot of resources. And there's probably better ways to get water than these water supplies under the ocean. It's probably easier. I mean, I'm not sure if it is or not, but it, I would assume it would be easier to just take ocean water and desalinate it and, you know, make it potable to drink. That would be my guess. But if they have no other choices, mm, you know, I think that would be that would be a, a, a thing to consider. He said, there's a limit to how much you can pump sustainably. Uh, it would take a long time to empty these aquifers, but we wouldn't want to get to a point where we've pumped so much that we've exhausted the supply. It's a lot of water. It's a lot of drinking water for a lot of people. For people that might not have good water to drink. Flint, Michigan, possibly? Is that fixed yet? Flint, Michigan? Anybody know? I don't think it is. Why are we working on that stuff? NASA could fix it. I'm sure they could get a bunch of engineers over there. Help them out. When people make the argument about why do we spend money in space instead of fixing the problems here on Earth? Things aren't that easy. It's not that easy. You can't take money from one organization 
or the science from one organization and fix the world's problems. You just can't do it. It's like saying, hey, if NASA were better funded, we'd be on, you know, we'd be to the next galaxy by now. It's not the way it works. You can't just throw money at something and make it work. And I'm not just talking about Flint particularly. I'm talking about everything that's wrong with the Earth. Climate change, uh, lack of food, lack of water for a lot of people, uh, vaccinations, you know, people that are vaccinated to help them out so it doesn't spread disease. That's a huge problem. Get your kids vaccinated, people. Seems to uh, Seems to be a thing that some people are against, but you can make your choices, but, you know, uh, the, scientific, the science says otherwise. No mommy blog will tell you the actual science of the things. They're just going to tell you hearsay and conjecture. Now, having said, I'm not an expert, but I do know experts in the field. And they've told me numerous things. And they're not paid off by the government. They're not paid off by big pharma to give you these injections if you think that, you're running down a, a weird rabbit hole, man. Take a look at yourself. Why are you thinking about this stuff? I, I understand. Question everything, right? You got to trust the professionals sometimes. They don't want your kids to die or have autism, right? Those are the two major things. Like, I don't want my kid to get sick. I don't want my kids to have autism. Why would a doctor give you something that would cause your kid to get autism? To quote, unlock it, some people say. That's just stupid. You're being silly. The doctor would never do that. They take an oath. They would never do that. They would never harm your kid on purpose. So that's one of the things that you got to think about as a parent. Also, you got to think about, you know, how are we going to get this money to fix these problems, right? We have all sorts of problems in the United States. One of them being Flint, Michigan. How are we going to fix that? You can't just throw a bunch of money at it. There's tons of problems over there. We haven't fixed it yet. Why hasn't this administration done anything about it? You know, why isn't it fixed yet? When did Flint, Michigan start? Let's find out. People are still in trouble there. Uh, let's see here. It was just recently. I know that. Twenty fourteen, twenty thirteen, somewhere around there. Why haven't we fixed it? You can't just throw money at it. I wish you could. I really wish you could, but you can't. You can't throw money at NASA. I joked I lost a listener because I joked about giving taking the Department of Defense money, giving it to NASA, using part of the Department of Defense, telling them that, um, that there's, you know, China is evil and they're going to start a war on, on the moon. 
so we can get back to the moon faster, so we can have better technology. I joked about that, and somebody left my podcast, sent me a, a note that said that was ranting about uh, NASA and the, and the Department of Defense working together and having another red scare. Somebody wrote me a letter, which is, I mean, if you're going to leave the podcast, that's the way to do it. That was pretty funny. In a uh, holy cow, I have, like, I've influenced somebody so much in some way, like I've upset them so much that they completely wrote me a letter and left the podcast. It's not funny, but it's, it was weird to me when I got that. I was like, holy cow, they took me seriously about that. So I got to make sure to do disclaimers every once in a while. I'm like, I'm just joking about some stuff, man. I'm just joking about little green men on other planets. Sometimes there's serious stuff we got to talk about. But most of the time, it's just fun science and education stuff. And that's what I want everybody to, to understand. Is it like this? If you listen to this right now, make sure to follow it. Make sure to follow the podcast if you like it. If you like this kind of conversation, make sure to follow the podcast. It's never like it's never super serious. I would never be that guy that's going to be Mr. Science Man and cram facts down your throat. This is all about fun. It's all about having a good time together and enjoying science and talking about it. These are the things, these are the topics that we all love. Like, I love to talk about this stuff and I love to learn about everything in the cosmos including here on earth, we have problems. So we bring those up every once in a while. Sometimes it's deep. Some, most of the time it's goofy, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not the science communicator guy that is going to be all wacky. You know, I'm not, I'm not that guy. That's not who I am. I'm pretty goofy. Trust me. Get me in the right mood. I'm an absolute uh, goofball, but shows about enjoying ourselves and having fun. So let's see if the space station is contacting me back yet. Nothing yet. (laughs) Nothing yet, space station. Nope, nothing yet, unfortunately. So we'll have to find out about that. We'll have to find out if we could turn the space station and point it towards Mars. What if I know any rocket scientists off the top of my head here? I got to know somebody. It's got to be somebody in my Twitter feed somewhere. I can ask him about it. It's got it. I wonder if it's even capable. If this, if the space station is capable of flying to Mars in its current form, probably not more than likely not. It doesn't have rockets on it. That'll shoot it there. But if we strap some rockets on that sucker, point it towards Mars, pull the trigger, let's go see what happens to it. Put some people on there. First Martians. There we go. Got some Martians. Have a little escape pod for them to launch themselves from the International Space Station down to the surface of Mars. First Martians. We got them. Would be amazing. And I can't wait for us to start doing missions to Mars with people. That we don't really have to do Mars missions with people. It would be better and faster if we were to discover on Mars with humans with shovels. 
instead of waiting, you know, weeks for a reply from our science lab, we just have to dig a hole, another hole. And, you know, scoop out Martian surface. From there, put it in the thing, in the science lab, crank it up, do some science, let it run overnight, whatever we got to do, however long it takes. And then if that didn't work out, we just walk back outside, take another shovel, scoop it up, do it again. With the current rovers, we give it a mission to do. Instead of taking minutes to get, you know, 10 or 15 feet, it takes days to get that far. Hours to get that far. So having people up there is very, very positive. It would be really cool. I'd be excited about that. That would be the first life on Mars that we know of, human life. And if we did, I mean, we could have a ton of science done very quickly if we had humans on Mars. We can learn if there's anything in the Martian soil, if there's anything that did live in the Martian soil, much faster than if we, um, if we sent a rover up there. Hey, Sneaky, how's it going? Um, so, yeah, you got to think about that. You know, would it be better if we had humans on Mars? Probably. I think it'd be awesome. Now, my friends, like I said before, if you like this kind of topic, if you like space science and tech, make sure to hit the follow button. Make sure to check out the clip podcast. You can check that out at spacenewspod.com. That's every episode is available on there. On CastBox, I have the CastBox list there, the player. You can also check it out on CastBox on YouTube, youtube.com slash space news pod. Also Periscope We're on Periscope right now too. I totally neglected you Periscope. I apologize. My bad. I am the worst. <laughs> let's, just, let's just say I didn't know. I don't know if you were chatting at me. I didn't have my chat open Periscope. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I love you, and thank you for listening, Periscopers. You are amazing. Yeah, thank you for following on Twitter, too. Twitter.com slash Space News Pod, at Space News Pod, on everything. Except, of course, um, on Instagram, Space News Pod 1, the number one. So that being said, my friends, I'm going to call it for the night. I want to say thank you again to Magellan TV for their support. You can go to MagellanTV.com slash Space News Pod for sweet, sweet, sweet science documentaries. You can get two months for free. MagellanTV.com slash Space News Pod. Any device, anywhere, anytime. High quality 4K HD content updated every week, all the time. Constant flow of cool stuff. MagellanTV.com slash Space News Pod. 
Also, thank you to all my Patreon patrons, patreon.com slash space news pod. Um, who else can I thank? Everybody, just anybody who's listening. You're awesome. Anybody who's listening to this, thank you for the support. Thank you for subscribing to the podcast. Thank you for following. Thank you for the stars. Thank you for the five likes, Sneaky. And I will be back tomorrow to do another podcast. That's my new song for the podcast. That is the outro. That is a horrible outro. (laughs) Thank you, everybody, for listening. And I will... See you soon. This is the better one. Good night, everybody. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to spend it here with me on the Space News Pod. My name is Will Walden, and I will see you soon. That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. You know what's wrong with health and fitness? You weaponize it against yourself. Why didn't you go to the gym today? You're so lazy. Ah, why did you eat that? You have no self-control. Stop it. At Beachbody, we think training and caring for your body in a way that works best for you should be about loving yourself. Let us help you without all the judgment. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great.